Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. How y'all doing? You look good. So you look comfy. So remember what I said last week, those chairs are way more comfortable than might be you're used to. So you got to stay maybe leaning forward and engaged. Um, and I know if you've been with us for some time, we're in our series, Trust the Story. And today is part 40, 40, and it's the end. So 40 weeks. We actually started this last March, the first week of COVID. So March 15th, I believe it was, uh, is when we started this series. And the whole point of this series has been understanding the Bible as a complete narrative. Now, I don't know about you, but um, things that I'm listening to, podcasts that I normally listen to, sermons I normally listen to by certain speakers, it seems like everywhere I turn, people are talking about the Bible as a story, making sure we know from beginning to end, making sure we understand the Old Testament. And um, I do believe when we went into this season last year for 2020, that part of the Assemblies of God vision for 2020 was 2020 vision, knowing the word. And so that's where the idea from this trust the story and uh, using the resource by Frank Viola called The Untold Story to help us understand that the Bible is not just a book that you can take a, a piece of and use it however you want to use it. You have to make sure you understand it within its context to make sure that we apply it in the current situation that we're, we're facing. And so we have put on Slack. Slack is a, um, an online platform that we use to put videos and other resources. And I did that again today for the book of Revelation. Now, I know some of you have been like dying to get to the book of Revelation and you're super excited. We're going to get to Revelation and Pastor Tom is going to make sense of all of it. And uh, as I told you the last couple of weeks, you're going to be severely uh, disappointed um, that I'm not going to give you the secret code understanding the book of Revelation. But I, I hope I'm going to present something that causes you to see the book of Revelation, maybe in a way that you never did. Um, back in 2012, I had the chance to go to Israel. And when I went to Israel, my eyes became open to the, the context of the scripture in a way that I never had understood before. Raised in church all my life, gone to church all my life, went to Bible college, five years in Bible college, was in the ministry here in Huron for, since 1998 is when we came to Huron. So it had been 14 years at that point. And yet there were things that in the scripture I had not understood because I did not know the culture, the geography, the, the land of the Bible, the way that I learned in that short week. Now, for the last, what, since 2012, so for the last nine years, I've been in a process, a journey, and I'm still feeling like I'm at the beginning of this. So as we've gone through this series, you're, you're, you're not going to come to the end of the series and understand the whole Bible. Um, but hopefully, this last year has caused us to think differently to see things that maybe when we read the Bible before, we didn't see before. And I believe that that's going to show up a lot in the way we view Re Revelation. I think as an American church, we, try, we tend to look at the book of Revelation the way a Westerner would look at it, the way th an American would look at it, and we miss what John is actually communicating in the time period that he's writing. We miss the overarching narrative that God is trying to, to tell us. And if you remember... One of the messages I preached is don't lose the forest for the trees. Um, we kind of do that sometimes with the book of Revelation. And so we'll talk about that as we go through. Today I titled this message, More Than Conquerors. 
more than conquerors. Starting next week, um, before I get into that, we're going to be using a book called Redefined by Arden Bevere. And the Redefined series is about removing the labels that sometimes we put on ourselves, sometimes our upbringing has put on us, sometimes society puts on us. And we're, we're, we're going to refuse to live as we've been defined by our culture or by our heritage, by our nationality. We are going to live as new creations in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about how to walk in that freedom, free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from shame, free from our past. And we're going to break free of that over uh, probably about 12 weeks. We're going to be in the Redefined series. So if you want to pick up a copy of the book, they're available in the back. And you can pick that up, and we're going to start in that next week, uh, February the 7th. So, understanding the book of Revelation. The first thing that's important to understand when we come to the book of Revelation is in the opening verse, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That word, revelation, is the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Now, maybe you've never heard that word, but maybe you've heard the word apocalyptic. We tend to think the word apocalyptic means uh, future sci-fi type of thing. So when we look at the book of Revelation, we think like apocalyptic means end times. Apocalyptic means um, what's far out in the future, uh, the secret code of Revelation. That is not what the word apocalyptic means. Apocalyptic is a genre of literature. So if you're an ancient Hebrew, you would understand apocalyptic literature. If I would stand up here and read a poem to you, maybe one of my favorite poems is O Captain, My Captain, um, not written about a guy on a ship, but actually written about Abraham Lincoln, and it was written at his assassination. And so, you know, th if you've ever read that poem, you, you wouldn't take it literally as if it was a captain on the, the ship. You understand it figuratively. And so... Apocalyptic literature is the same type of literature. So what apocalyptic literature really is, is a prophet gets a dream or a vision. And so rather than just stand up and tell you what the vision or the dream means, they kind of reveal it to you. So they tell it to you in this format that causes you to decipher, discover what's being told. And it's actually told from the viewpoint of heaven. So heaven's looking down. God, who dwells outside of time, it's all past, present, and future, all tied into one. So when we look at the book of Revelation, some people are like, well, is that about what has already happened or what is happening? Or is it about what's going to happen in the future? Yes. It's all of them, because that's how God looks. God doesn't look down. That's why when Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, God didn't have to hold our sin against us because he already knew what was coming. And he is not limited by time, space, continuum, so he can do as he wants to do what's in the future. So when John says he's writing this to them as a revelation, an oh, apocalypsis, that's a hard word to say you have to really focus um, they, they would understand what he's saying. And we need to make sure we put ourselves in those shoes so that we can understand and view current events through that lens, through the lens of heaven, past, present, future, final outcome, all finished. The victory's already won, even though we're still living it out. 
Like God's already at the end, even though we're right here. And so we have to look at Revelation from that lens. So this is a revelation, an unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must suddenly take place or say soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant, John. So John start unpacking this revelation, this, as he even says, prophecy. So we're not saying that the, the revelation is not like a prophetic picture of the future. In some ways it is, but it's also past, present, and future. And so we got to make sure we anchor ourselves in that truth as we look to understand what the book of Revelation means for us. Because we, in the American world, have a tendency to like to use the book of Revelation to interpret the signs of the times. Because, you know, that's cool. I mean, I guarantee you, if we had a class on understanding all the symbolic meaning of the book of Revelation, people would come from everywhere. Because it piques our curiosity. We're like, we want to know. We want to know who the Antichrist is. And we want to know where the, which, which is the union, the, the ten nation union, what's that going to be? And all of my life growing up in church, I've had people tell us, oh yeah, Russia, they're the, the power from the north that's going to come down. Or no, no, this, when the European Union formed, it was like, oh, the ten nations are coming together. We need to start living right. Well, we should have been living right all along, but we need to really start living right now because look, the ten nations. And then the European Union expanded beyond ten nations and we're like, Oh, maybe that's not what I thought it was. And then Russia kind of falls from the superpower status, and we're like, oh, maybe Russia's not. Well, I know who the Antichrist is. Oh, it's this person over here. I once uh, at a, I won't even tell you where it was, but I was preaching somewhere, and a guy came up to me after, and he's like, hey, what do you think of Benny Hinn? Like, well, it does, does it matter what I think of Benny Hinn? Well, I think he's the Antichrist. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Help me, Jesus. Um, and so we all have these like predictions of who this person is and who that person is. And we want to know the details and we want to know what these plagues and bulls is. Is COVID one of the bulls? Is COVID one? I mean, there's articles out there. You can find this stuff. But here's what I'm here to tell you. The book of Revelation was not given to us to satisfy our curiosity. It was not given to us so that you and I would know all of the details about when and how all of this is going to take place. And I know that from Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's gathered his disciples around him and they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. And I think as we go through the book of Revelation, obviously we're not going to have time to go through all of it in this room today, but as you read through the book of Revelation, the overwhelming theme of this book is is that same message. It's that we be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ no matter what comes upon the earth. It was not written 
to give the early church all of the details of what was going to happen. It was not written to give us today all of the details that are going to happen. It was written to us to encourage us that the final victory, the final outcome has already been sealed. And no matter what comes upon the earth, because it comes upon the earth in every generation. In every generation, there's a beast. In every generation, there's an empire. In every generation, there are antichrists fighting against God's plan and purpose for the earth but the church can live victoriously the church can overcome in every generation isn't that good stuff so we tend to want to know all of the details because it's easier for us to recognize the false instead of sometimes leaning into the true The book of Revelation, and the Bible for that matter, calls us into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So that day by day, we walk with the Holy Spirit. We hear Him, we respond to Him, but we tend to like want a list. Hey, Pastor Tom, I need need a list of what things I'm supposed to avoid in my life. What are sin? What do I need to do to, to be in right standing with God? How do I need to behave? What are the types of sin... And the crazy thing is, is in some ways, I mean, there are certain things in Scripture, absolutely black and white, but there are other things that depending upon our personalities, the Hebrews tells us to throw off anything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So for me and you, there may be different things that entangle us, and neither of them may be black and white sin, but they break my intimate connection with the Father. They break my intimate communion with the Holy Spirit, and so I can't hear His voice. And so as a protective measure, if you just tell me who the Antichrist is, is, if you just tell me what the mark of the beast is, then I won't take it. Rather than lean into our relationship with the Holy Spirit so that we hear His voice, so that no matter what the mark of the beast looks like, I don't accept it because I know it's not His voice. Does that make sense? And that's what John is trying to do for this church. There are seven different letters to seven different churches in seven different circumstances facing seven different types of things. And they're all living in this different way. Some are being persecuted. Some are being blessed. And all of them are in different states, but all of them are called to be victorious, to overcome, to live as Christ lived. And so... When we look at the the book of Revelation, the first thing I want you to understand is all of the symbolic imagery and the numbers that are given to us in the book of Revelation come from the Old Testament. The lampstands, the the oil, the lamb that was slain, every single picture, every single number in Revelation is tied to the Old Testament. And we are terrible Americans at Old Testament scholarship, so we don't understand what John is saying in all of those symbolic things. But John's readers would have been very studied in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they would have understood what he's referencing, and they would have been able to study what he was referencing. And so I don't, I'm not going to say that there's no secret code or that we're not able to know future events. Uh, I'm not going to say that. But what I am going to say is the main point of the book of Revelation is not for us to know the secret code. It's not for us to know who the Antichrist is going to be. It's for us to be the faithful, true witnesses of Jesus Christ on the earth. That's the overall picture. 
So if you're going to study these secret codes and you're going to study these guys that are out there and you're going to buy all of these uh, lessons and texts, great. Don't lose sight of the main point. Because as the church, I think we've forgotten what it means to be victorious. I loved the, the description Heather read today of the, the lion from the tribe of Judah who is worthy to open the scrolls. I mean, I don't know what image you got in your mind, but when John turned to see this overwhelming lion who had the, the authority to open the scrolls, he was a lamb that had been slain. Victory in the kingdom comes through laying down our lives. And it doesn't change for you and I. The way that Christ overcame, the way that Christ gained victory over his enemies by, was by shedding his blood. You and I are called to that same thing. We overcome evil with good. We, we lay down our lives. We humble ourselves. If you want to be found worthy of the secrets of heaven, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Those who humble themselves, those who walk in obedience, those who don't try to argue sinners into heaven, but who lay down their lives and love them so that their hearts are open to the message of the gospel. We've lost that in the church. We want to stand up and shout from the rooftops what all the sin is, but we're really not willing to live like the lamb who was slain. We're not willing to lay down our lives for our friends. And that message is the call to the church that is being persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. But your blood, Jesus sees it, and he's going to use it to bring ultimate victory. In fact, if you study the bulls and the trumpets, and you study the, 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 um, the bulls, the trumpets, what's the other one? Bulls, trumpets. There's another one. Seals, there. In the book of Revelation, the, the, the judgments that get poured out on the earth, do the people repent? No, their hearts get hardened, just like it happened for Pharaoh, right? I mean, the plagues came on Egypt, and Pharaoh's heart just get, kept getting harder. And the same thing happens in Revelation. The, the, the judgments that are poured out on the earth do not cause people to repent. But there is a repentance that begins to come on the nation, and it's the blood of the martyrs that actually opens the hearts of people to repent and turn from their sin. Interesting that God uses those who lay down their lives to actually bring people to repentance, and judgment doesn't do it. And that's throughout history, past, present, and future. I worry for the church because as I've watched us react over the last year to the restrictions and to the things that are being put on us, I don't see us willing to lay down our lives. I don't see us as a church willing to let people... Uh, you know, take our rights away from us for the sake of the kingdom, not just for the sake of taking them away. But we have gotten so bent out of shape over things that in 30 years just won't matter. And we're trying to win people who for eternity are going to be damned, but we won't lay down one single right to make that happen or to begin to cause that to happen. And that's what Revelation is all about. It's not about knowing the facts. In fact, if you, if you look at the, I, I would encourage you greatly, appeal to you as strongly as I can appeal to you. I've put on our Slack page, I've put on my Facebook page, I've put on our church Facebook page, the Bible Project videos. Just go to YouTube and Google Revelation Bible Project. Watch those short videos that talk about the book of Revelation and put it into a context so we can understand. Because when it comes to something like the Mark of the Beast, we've heard about it all our lives. Mark of the Beast, 666, 
we have come to a place where we believe there's going to be a literal mark that gets put on our forehead or on our hands. That's going to happen in the last days. Could that happen? Absolutely. Does it have to be a literal mark? No. Why doesn't it have to be a literal mark? Because if you go all the way back to Deuteronomy, the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, write these commands on your heart. Remember what they were told to do? Write them on your forehead. Write them on your hand. And you know what some of the Pharisees did? They actually wore little boxes on their forehead so that they would be reminded of the law. The problem was they wore the thing on their forehead, but they weren't doing it. They were missing it. And I fear that the American church waiting for a literal mark may be giving allegiance to the beast, but we don't have a mark on our head. See, the beast in the book of Revelation, if you take the word Nero, Caesar, and beast, Hebrew letters are uh, also numbers. So if you take the word Nero in Hebrew, you take Caesar in Hebrew, you take the word beast in Hebrew, guess what that adds up to? Six, six, six. Interesting. So the book of Revelation is telling us that in every period of history throughout the world, there is a beast, there is an empire. Every empire of this earth is built on greed, wealth, exploitation, immorality. Now, we come to America and we think, no, America was founded on godly principles. There is greed, wealth, exploitation that is built into the fabric of our nation. If we took away the ability for all of these corporations to stop using uh, overseas labor where they get it super, super cheap and they exploit people in other countries, our economy would crumble. And so it's hard for politicians sometimes to make decisions because they recognize our country is built on uh, something. So, yeah, there, there's Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments don't make us godly. Moral laws don't make us godly. Surrender to Christ makes us godly. And no matter what kingdom it is, it's built on a, a shaky foundation. They're all eventually going to come to an end. That's what John's saying. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Love America, don't want to live anywhere else, because here I am. This is the best thing on earth, I think. And so it's got flaws. She ain't perfect, but I'm choosing to stay here. And I'm choosing to work for the betterment of my city, my state, and my nation. I'd be foolish not to. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to try to make our country worse. So by the way, if you don't like a current president, slamming him and constantly berating them doesn't actually work for the betterment of our society. You don't like our mayor. You don't like our city council. Do something positive to make a difference in our community. Don't just slam everybody because their beliefs are different than yours. We have to start working together. God called his people in exile in the land of Babylon to work for the betterment of the country that they were in an exile. You and I can do the same. We have to get our identity as citizens of the kingdom, not citizens of whatever nation we live in on earth. Because every nation has some level of immorality, is some type of beast. So, if we are entrenched 
in a greedy, exploitation, compromised society, isn't that just like writing it on our foreheads or hands? Again, there could be a literal mark of the beast that someday you're called to take. But be very careful that we don't buy into a system of this world and give our allegiance to the beast over allegiance to the king. That's what I fear is the biggest danger right now in America. Because we're looking for these literal signs and John may not be giving us literal signs. He may be giving us figurative. So we have to keep ourselves alert for both. Literal or figurative. I want him to have my total allegiance, not anyone else. That's how we avoid evil. We draw near to the Lamb. In his book, More Than Conquerors, William Hendrickson writes this. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to comfort the militant church in its struggle against the forces of evil. It is full of help and comfort for persecuted and suffering Christians. To them is given the assurance that God sees their tears. Their prayers are influential in world affairs, and their death is precious in His sight. Their final victory is assured. Their blood will be avenged. Their Christ lives and reigns forever and ever. He governs the world in the interest of his church. So in every generation, we are called to be faithful. And in every generation, there has been persecution somewhere in the world on the church. Last year, there were more martyrs for the faith, for Christianity, than at any other time in history that we've kept record. So every year, people... but. We have lived in this little bubble for a long time in America, and we don't pay much attention to what's happening to the church worldwide. Persecution is happening all over the world, and we are called to be faithful and to sometimes suffer for the sake of the kingdom. And yet, whether we live in prosperity like we have, the call is give total allegiance to Jesus, not total allegiance to the systems of this world. One of the letters to the church in Laodicea, if you remember from Revelation chapter 3, it's actually the last letter that John writes to the seven churches. He writes to them and says they're lukewarm. They're not hot. They're not cold. They think they have everything they need. They're rich. They don't need anything. They're very prosperous. No persecution like some of the other churches had experienced, but blessing, or so they thought. They were being blessed, but Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You are actually miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And the interesting thing is, the, the whore of Babylon that Revelation describes, this beast kingdom of Babylon, is actually described as miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So this church in Laodicea, has become one, in essence, with the beast. We don't need anything. There's not a humility. There's not a dependence upon God. 
there's a pride, an arrogance. There's a, I can just live however I want to live. I'm going to make what's in my best interest for my wealth. I'm not going to make decisions that actually hurt my 401k. I want to be able to retire. I want to be able to save up and store up. And yet the call throughout Scripture is to turn away from that. Don't store up treasure on earth. Live your life for the kingdom. But in America, we've preached a gospel of forgiveness without a gospel of repentance. Forgiveness of your sins. Just ask God to forgive you all your sins and he'll forgive you. But the Bible doesn't say, come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. The Bible says, come to Jesus and repent. Meaning you were living one way, he's going to put you on another path totally. You were living for yourself. You were living for this world. The things you can see, feel, taste, and touch. You were living for earthly relationships. You were making decisions based on what was best for you. But now God has called you into his kingdom because that road, even though you thought it was a good road, and even though you thought you were doing the best for you, the end of that road is death. And he calls us to be on this road where he makes the decisions, where we follow him, where we're faithful to him. And even if that faithfulness causes us to lose our lives, even if that faithfulness causes us to lose a relationship, even if that faithfulness causes us to lose wealth, we're going to be faithful to him. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, look at this. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Is he talking about the past? Yes. Is he talking about their present? Yes. Is he talking about our present? Yes. Is he talking about the future? Yes. Because every kingdom of this world will eventually lead to this. Because no matter how pure we try to be, we can't. No matter how much of a Christian nation we try to be, no matter how many laws we try to pass keeping the Bible, without Jesus Christ, we cannot be a godly nation. We can't. It's impossible. Because, sure, we'll get rid of some of the big obvious sins, but selfishness, arrogance, greed, slander, the little things will always creep in. And every kingdom of the world will lead to this if the people of God are going to be true to the king. Revelation chapter 14, the beast is given power to overcome the people of God. And look what it, verse 12 says. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is portrayed throughout the book of Revelation as the conqueror. He is victorious. He conquers death. He conquers hell. He conquers the dragon. He conquers the beast. He conquers the false prophet. He conquers the men who worship the beast. And every single time we see him, he's got blood on him. And not the blood of his enemies, his own blood. That doesn't sell many tickets in the American church. Call to suffer, call to persecution, call to lay down our rights. Yet if we want to overcome the evil in our society, we have to be willing to do good to those who hate us. We have to be willing to love our enemies. We have to. 
trust me, if we stay on the path that we're on, trying to win over the argument, trying to be right all the time, we're, we're headed for implosion. In fact, the current state of the American country right now between Republicans and Democrats, it would be good for us to go back and look at the Roman Empire and look at why the Roman Empire fell, because it imploded from within. The infighting, the giving themselves to whatever was the right for me, it was no longer about what was best for Rome, it was what I wanted to do. And there was so much fighting, there was so much immorality, it literally crumbled from the inside. Nobody overthrew the Roman Empire. It was huge, but it crumbled from within. No one is strong enough to defeat America, but if we stay on this path, boom, we're about to implode from within. So I call the church to rise above it, and let's be the change that we need to see in our nation. Let's show people how the kingdom of God operates even within a kingdom of this world. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, here it is again. How do we triumph? As, how do we become victorious? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. In other words, our putting faith in Christ. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelation chapter 13, verse 7. It was the beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. I don't like that verse, do you? And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And throughout history, power has been given to the beast to conquer God's people. In Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, today, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, given the power to conquer God's people. But mark this. God keeps track of every tear. He keeps tr track of every drop of blood, and he uses it for his ultimate victory on this earth. And rest assured, every person that gives their lives in the book of Revelation are numbered among the martyrs and receive a reward for all eternity. If Revelation does nothing else, I hope it helps us realize that you and I maybe will live, if we're lucky, a hundred years on this earth. Compare that to eternity. What is worth fighting to keep in this life for the sake of eternity? Not wealth, not relationships, not power, prestige, honor, nothing. Lay it all down for Him. Revelation shows us that throughout history, people are persecuted. But there are promises in the book of Revelation. And we're going to read some of them. We're not going to be able to take time to read all of them. But Jesus alluded to them with his disciples. In Luke chapter 6, look at what Jesus says. Blessed are you when people hate you. How many of you, when people hate you, so they hate you, they're going to say mean things to you, they're going to do things to you. How many of you feel blessed? Oh, blessed. Of course we don't feel blessed, because that's not human nature. 
But the scripture says, remind yourself when people hate you, don't sit and try to retaliate. Don't sit and try to think about how to get even. Don't sit and stew on it and be like, oh, I hate them too. They, who do they think they are? It says, consider yourself blessed. Be blessed when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Not because of your political affiliation. Not because of your uh, constitutional understanding. Not because of your personality. Not because of your look. But because of the Son of Man. Because of how you're living in relationship to the King. If people hate you, you're blessed. And then look at verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I don't know about you, but that's not my first response when people hate me. To leap for joy. But it was the disciples' response. When they were flogged, remember they left the temple rejoicing that they could suffer for the king. I know, we've lived in this bubble so long, we thought we were going to get out of this unscathed and we'd never have to lay down our lives or give anything up. And we're going to fight for it the same way that the zealots tried to fight against Rome. Rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. I mean, you get to pick. We just had this discussion last night at my house because we were having tacos. And when you have tacos, you got to pass all this stuff around, you know. And I, I need those tomatoes. Well, I'm going to use the tomatoes. And so I actually joke because someone asked for the tomatoes, and I'm like, I was about to use them, but I'm going to give them to you first so I can have a reward in heaven. I literally said it. And that's the truth. I let you go first. I was about to use the tomatoes, but I'm going to pass them to you first because that's how the kingdom works. And yeah, that's a silly illustration, but what is worth clinging to? What is worth hanging on to in this life when I know by laying it down, I actually receive reward in heaven that can't be taken away from me? And that's what Jesus calls us to. So look at the blessings that John pours out. In chapter 1, John actually gives us this picture of Jesus, and he's so glorified that John falls down as if he was dead. In chapter 4, John gives us this picture of Jesus and God seated on the throne. And do you know what happens right after we see this picture of them seated on the throne? All hell breaks loose for the rest of the book. So when all hell breaks loose in your life, remember, he's seated on the throne. Look at this, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it, take it to heart what was written in it, because the time is near. Not just peruse it casually, but really dig into it. Revelation chapter 14. This one will bless you. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, the martyrs. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Revelation 16, 15. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Revelation 19, 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. 
Revelation 22, 7. Blessed is the one who of the prophecy written in the scroll. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into that city. Seven blessings in the book of Revelation. Sometimes when you're reading the book of Revelation, if you don't take a step back and look at it from this viewpoint, you miss that there's seven beatitudes, seven blessings that are mixed into the book of Revelation, reminding the church, be faithful to Jesus, patiently endure whatever comes on the earth. You are blessed. You don't look blessed. You don't look like you're going to win, but you are victorious because that is how victory is won in the kingdom. The seven letters to the seven churches. Every single letter is written to these churches. And there's something good about most of them. And then there's something that they need to work on about most of them. There are a few churches that there's only good stuff said about them. There's nothing bad said about them at all. And I'm like, I bet that's our church. We're one of them churches. There ain't nothing bad to say about us. But the problem is the ones that don't have anything bad to say about them are about to be like severely persecuted and killed. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I don't want to be one of those churches. I want to be one of those churches that's got something to work on, a bad attitude, sexuality, I don't know, something. But let's have something to work on because we don't want to get to the point where we're so good we're about to be like killed for our faith. Um, but that's ultimately someone that God can trust. A church that's going to respond correctly to persecution and is going to put him on display he can, he can allow to be persecuted because His glory is going to show in that. That's how we overcome. But look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. To the one who is victorious, they will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2, 17. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it and know, known only to the one who receives it. Now, you got to know the history of Pergamum, and I don't got time to go into that, but that meant a big deal to them because we look at that and we're like, hidden man, a white stone? I don't know what that even means. But if you study the history of Pergamum, the city of Pergamum, that's a pretty cool thing. So for them, that was a great reward. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will give that one the morning star. Revelation 3, 5, to the one who is victorious, will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Revelation 3.21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So you and I have a choice. We live for that type of victory or we live for the little victories we can win here. The arguments we can win here. The things that we can, you know, I can show that person how wrong they are. I can get back at that person who wronged me. You can do it. Go ahead. Live that way. Get your reward here. Or live according to the kingdom and lay up treasure in heaven where no moth, where nothing can steal and nothing can destroy. In fact, if you want to follow the Lamb, 
you have to be willing to live like the Lamb. And the picture, again, that we see throughout the book of Revelation is this suffering Lamb willing to lay down His life over and over and over again. Given authority, given power, given ultimate victory. That's the way to victory. I didn't write the book, I just read the book. And that's what's missing from our understanding of the book of Revelation. Too many of us are looking for, you know, what, what's the mark of the beast? Is this new vaccine the mark of the beast? I, I, I don't know. Is, is this person, you know, uh, oh, they're trying to insert chips. In. Here's what I know. If you lean into Jesus and you stay faithful to Jesus, the mark of the beast will not be this deceptive, sneaky thing. It will be an allegiance that you need to make to the kingdoms of this earth. That's for sure. So if you want to protect yourself against deception, lean into Jesus. Get in His Word. Turn off the TV and read it more. Study it more. Dig into it more. If you want to live for all of this and just, you know, every once in a while pick it up and just try to, you know, you know I'm going to read a little bit today, be careful. Be careful. Because if you don't stay alert and awake, you and I could run the risk of being deceived in the last days. That's why we're called into a body. That's why we're called into fellowship with one another, to watch each other, to help each other. Not so I can look nitpicky at all your flaws and be like, you know, you, you really need to work on this bad part of your personality. No, it's for protection's sake, to make sure that we stay on that road where we're following the Lamb, the one who was slain for us. Make sure we don't get caught in the entanglements of Babylon, in the entanglements of compromise. One last scripture from Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews, in the words of the Lord, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is the created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. See, God loves us so much that in the last days, there's going to come a shaking on the earth and His church is going to recognize it and everything temporary that we've been clinging to is going to start to fall so that it drives us to what's unshakable. It drives us to our King. And so rather than try to fight for the stuff that's shaking, recognize I can't keep that. I can't take that with me. I need to go towards what's unshakable. That's the message of the book of Revelation. Don't get hung up on the details. I still think the details are all about the authority of the Father, and you and I don't need to know them. Doesn't mean you can't give your time to them. Just don't miss the main point. Patient endurance to be His witnesses, to be obedient to Him, to live like the Lamb who was slain. That's what it means to trust the story. This entire message, this whole series, can be summed up in that book right there. Trust the story that God's been telling all along. The past, present, future. Trust Him. He's on the throne. And so, Father, I thank You for the things You have revealed to us. God, as we look at the book of Revelation, there's so much symbolism. There's so much hidden. There's so many things that we don't understand. But yet, the things that we do understand, you are victorious. We 
are victorious in you. You are seated on your throne. You have been telling a story, past, present, and future. And no matter what happens in the circumstances of our lives, whatever happens on this earth, you reign as supreme. You are ultimately in control. And we trust you. Father, I pray for Restoration Church today. And I pray for not us alone, but God, every church in our city, every church in our state, every church in our nation, every church around the world. Holy Spirit, help us to live with that patient endurance. Help us to live faithful to you, to obey you, to be your witnesses, to live the way that you lived when you walked this earth. Not to retaliate, but to offer forgiveness, to offer mercy. Father, you never treated us as our sins deserved. Help us to to use that same mercy and grace on those around us. May they recognize us as your followers because of the love we have for one another. God, because of the fact that we do good to those who hate us, we pray for those who persecute us, we love our enemies. Holy Spirit, show us how to live this out. God, I pray for this body as we maybe go back over the book of Revelation in this week ahead and re-look at it, study it again, read it again. Holy Spirit, help us to see the overarching message of trusting you, knowing that you're in control, and living as faithful witnesses to the Lamb who was slain. God, ultimately, so that we can bring victory freedom, hope to those that are lost, to those that are in danger of facing your judgment should you return. Father, help us not to cling to the temporary things of this life at the expense of the souls of those around us or even at the expense of our own soul. Help us to be willing to lay it down, to humble ourselves, and to walk as Jesus did on this earth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the things that I've shared today and that you'd make them plain, make them clear. In any way that I've muddied the waters, Holy Spirit, come and clear it up. Make it plain, make it clear in our hearts today, I pray. Now, God, over your your body today, I pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them and keep them that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. And God, ultimately, that you would be gracious to them in every way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to challenge you one last time. The Bible Project videos, I'd encourage you to watch them. Um, It will give you a full picture of the book of Revelation. Start there and then dig in. Study it. Test me in the things that I've shared with you today. Don't take my word for it. Study the book. Make sure it's true. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Our hosts are.